Hello, I'm Ian Griggs, Deputy Editor of Wind Power Monthly. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Wind Power Podcast. Wind Power Monthly is the official podcast partner of the Wind Energy Hamburg Conference, starting on the 27th of September, where we will be recording episodes with a variety of industry specialists. But ahead of the start of the conference, and because it's taking place in Hamburg, today we're going to focus on the German onshore wind market. The German government is poised to pass a raft of policy improvements that could significantly impact its onshore wind market. But will these measures be enough to wake the sleeping giant? Today, I'm lucky to be joined by representatives of the German Wind Energy Association and the onshore turbine manufacturer Nordex. My guests for this episode are... Ron Schumann, I'm politics advisor with the German Wind Energy Association. Hello, Tony Adam, heading the global public affairs at Nordex. Thanks very much for joining me, gentlemen. So the German government is to consider passing three policy improvements shortly, which will cover repowering, shortening permitting times and a restructuring of the grid. Tony, from the point of view of uh, Nordex, what would a change in rules to shorten permitting times mean for the German onshore wind industry in practical terms? It would wake a sleeping giant. Um, so from our perspective, basically, it's about getting the targets into action on the ground. And shortening permitting times is key here. So we need speed to move ahead and move fast. And for us as turbine manufacturers, this hopefully also would mean in the end of the day increasing business in our home market in Germany. And I mean, you need to understand, we talk about a permitting time in average of seven years in Germany, which is a long period. I love that concept of awakening a sleeping giant. Germany is, it's always been a leader in this area, but it's poised to do so much more if it can just be given that opportunity to do so. You know, changing permitting times, of course, is great in principle if they can do it. But what work do the local and regional governments in Germany need to do to increase the numbers of staff who are actually able to do this? Because that seems to be a, a big shortfall. Ron, do you want to tell us what you think about that? So what we need is not only the staff, we need digitalization and we need the political will to change. And we see this with the goals um, the federal government gave for the process. But we have 10 gigawatts and more we shall reach in the coming years. And this is a huge step forward, but without shorter permits, we won't be able uh, to reach that. We're going to talk more about public opinion in Germany towards wind energy later on in the podcast. But Tony, what would new rules on repowering do for the German onshore wind industry? And do you think there could be any opposition to much larger turbines being installed on an existing wind farm? What's your feeling on that? This question hits one of the key points when we look at public opinion on wind so starting it from the other angle what does this mean for the industry repowering on the one hand is key because it's land we need to build projects and repowering means we repower projects that are already have taken land so it's the smaller turbines there we can use them now with the larger turbines and now turning towards the question could there be opposition 
opinion polls uh, among the population, it's like that r roughly more than 70% that live next to a wind farm do not have issues. That was done in autumn, so before the political narratives with regard to the Ukraine war changed. But there might be, of course, opinions saying like it's large wind turbines. On the other hand, there's so much advantage in, in repowering um, that I think with convincing people with the arguments um, that are there, it should not be a huge hurdle to repower since the, the ratio, for instance, land use and electricity production is that much better with a modern turbine. Just to give an example, I think we repowered a wind farm. It were 40 turbines before. It was repowered with 12, doubling or tripling the output of the electricity. Are some states within Germany extremely positive? And my understanding is that there are certain states in Germany that are much less positive towards wind, such as Bavaria. Is, did you get some sort of a sense in that uh, in that polling as to where there's most public support, Ron? You can say that mostly those states in the north are more positive to wind and those in the south a little bit less because um, some see they, they want to go more on the solar energy and some more on the wind. That's a little bit of a difference. And what I feel like is also important is the structure of ownership the, to the wind farms. So are you there from the first beginning and is there is there a growing acceptance or are there people from outside coming in, just build up some wind farms and nothing stays for the region? I'm interested to know from both of you what Nordex and the German Wind Energy Association have been doing behind the scenes to lobby for this package of measures and how receptive officials uh, have been to you compared to, say, a year ago. Ron, do you want to tell us what you think about that? We have been trying to give really detailed input. We just don't want to say, ah, that's not going to work, but we want to say why it's not going to work. And we had discussions with uh, the top of the ministries and also like the, um, the staff underneath who have to, to work out the um, frameworks and the drafts. They really appreciate our input and they are eager to listen. That doesn't always mean that they do what we want them to do, but yeah, it's a lot easier. Tony, your, your job is to talk to politicians and officials and try to gain acceptance. How, how receptive have officials been to you compared to, say, a, a year ago and, and before the war? I mean, starting the war in, in February with the Russian aggression against Ukraine, there was a change and everybody could see it. And this is nothing just happening behind the scenes. It was in the public. It, it was released in, in the press. It, it crystallized in, in Repower EU. There was a change in policy narratives, turning much more towards renewables, seeing wind as a high important source for energy security, even looking at the role of renewables and wind um, on on energy independence for Europe and also here in particular Germany with having this huge gas dependency. So on the one hand, we had had a government that from itself with the Greens now in the rains um, was receptive to wind and to renewables. And the new narrative changed quite a lot the perception also of politicians towards wind and, and renewables, which I think gave a positive environment towards the regulation and you still can really feel the 
push that is um, on, on, on the policy side and, and on the regulation to get things done. All these measures have been discussed. People are talking behind the scenes. They've not yet been passed by uh, the German federal government. How confident are you both that these measures will be passed in the form you expect, Ron? So we are kind of uh, eager to get to know what they are planning and then we can assess how much it will help us. The government, when they came together and they formed their collision contract, they said we want to take all hurdles away. And now um, Chancellor Scholz said in his campaign that he wants to reduce it to six months. The permitting process and like Tony said we're talking six to seven years now that would be a huge cut and um, even though this goal might be a little bit out of reach to get it down to six months we are hopefully um, that we can cut it tremendously and talk maybe about one to two years um, after we're done with the permitting process. Tony are you expecting anyone to throw something unexpected in the pot before this passes this legislation? If it's something unexpected, I would expect it to be a secret ingredient that makes it even better. Let's assume what Ron says. There is a lot of ambition and there is also a lot of will. It, it's really fair to assume that we will see progress. Okay, let's look at a possible doomsday scenario here and, and, and look at this from a negative perspective for a moment. What will be the effect for turbine manufacturers and the German onshore wind industry in general if these measures are not passed? So, Tony, what would be the worst case here? If measures are not passed, we are stuck in the same stagnation as we have been in the last years. So the market dynamics are low. We have coast pressure from the outside. We have a challenging environment now with ongoing inflation, increasing raw material prices. So this is all something that can be a bit counterbalanced by a, a strong market dynamic. Clearly need this. Ron, do you have anything to add to what would happen if um, these measures are, are not passed? Yeah, I would I would emphasize on, on the point Tony made here because we have those high goals and political will was to, to show the wind industry that they want to have a change, that they want to have more wind turbines. But this doesn't lead to new projects doesn't lead uh, to the fact that um, there are turbines ordered for the manufacturers. So we need this permitting process fastened so that it's really clear and know you can start investing your money at some point and you will get a project done. That's the key that's not uh, here yet. And if we have this, then all the goals are reachable because now they are not even reachable. It's, it's kind of creating that investor confidence, isn't it? Uh, just adding adding a disclaimer, I think it's a scenario we currently do not consider um, as upcoming. So this we should make clear. I very much hope so uh, as well. What's missing from these measures, uh, Tony, first? Did you want more? basically. So what's missing, of course, from our perspective is speed. We need to get speed in getting this regulation that's needed to be um, done. And so we, we're quite confident, actually, that, that, that we will see progress. At federal level, the package has been passed. And mainly all the issues that needed to be tackled um, immediately or, or, or urgently at, at federal level that concern wind, in particular wind onshore, have been dealt with. So now it's really about shaping the regulation underneath it to implement 
what's in, in the laws at federal level. And Ron, were there any things that you were asking for that you didn't get or which are not yet on the table? Um, I would say, like, like Tony said, the main issues have all been tackled and I wouldn't say there is something missing. There, there are some minor parts um, that could have been done a little bit better. Of course, there is always a little something, but in the in the general process, I think we really are moving forward. Let's let's talk targets for a moment. Uh, my understanding is that the German target is to roughly double the capacity of onshore wind power in the country to 115 gigawatts by 2030, uh, which will mean that annual capacity additions will have to reach about 10 gigawatts as of 2025. A previous guest on this uh, podcast, um, who's from Vestas, he once criticised what he called the absurd theatre of countries announcing targets while little happens on the ground to reach them. Turning to the German targets, are these achievable? Is this an absurd theatre where just putting your finger in the air and saying, well, this was this is what we want, but without actually the will uh, to get there? Do you think the targets for onshore are actually achievable? Tony first. I fully agree. We have seen in the past quite, quite high and ambitious targets uh, throughout Europe and, and little action on the ground. Um, and now turning to what has happened in Germany and, and, and maybe to to reflect a bit on the level of, of ambition. We had a former government having an all-over cross-electricity consumption target of 580 terawatt hours. Um, now the new government adopted this target or, or this prognosis is not a target it's a prognosis of the cross consumption um, needed by in, in 2030 to I think it's 750 terawatt hours which, which is much closer to what is the gassing of the industry not just the wind industry and then they said we are going to target 85% renewables by 2030 which translates into somewhat over 580 terawatt hours in renewables or if you connect the figures, is quite similar to the all-over amount cross-electricity consumption of the former government. So this, this uh, I think, illustrates quite well um, the level of ambition. So now the question is, of course, is, is then the targets that come from this level of ambition, which is the 115 gigawatts needed in 2030 and the doubling of the installed capacity in Germany, are they achievable? If we move with speed, I think we can get quite close to them. We are eight years ahead of the target year. It's not much time. Ambition is high. If we would now already say, oh gosh, we are not going for it, it doesn't make sense, um, it would not be fair. So let's try to achieve as much as we can. Right. So let's, let's be optimistic. And, and what, do you, what do you think, Ron, about the, the gap between announcements of intention and ambition and reality on the ground. You can only take sometimes one step at a time. So government had to focus on the first steps in the legislative process. And you have to always take into account there is a war going on in Europe and you have to make sure there is enough energy supply in general. So when you have to take one step at a time, you can focus on one law, which they did. They passed the things they wanted to do and even more, as, as Tony said. And now they can take the next steps. This can give the, the market the possibility to achieve the goals. Maybe not in the first year, maybe not in the second year, but we can get there. We can get close to it. I want to turn now to 
public opinion in Germany and how that is changing or evolving over time. I, obviously, you re- referenced, Tony, this poll earlier, which gives a bit of a snapshot into uh, public feeling. But Tony, how do you think public opinion towards onshore wind farms in Germany has changed over the course of this year, Tony? Turning back to the poll, and this poll has been done subsequent for some years, there has been not too much change. At a total, 80% of the population in favor of expanding renewables and wind. And this poll is from autumn 2021, so already there, more than 60% um, were in favor of having much more engagement of the government on expanding renewables. And looking at the figures, um, either there is a wind farm or there is no wind farm uh, next to your door, it, it's always about 70% of the population saying we do not have a huge issue with it. Looking at, at what we see outside, of course, um, one can get the impression there's a lot and a huge opposition. And of course, there is a loud opposition. Whether this reflects the majority of the population, I would challenge on the figures of the poll and on what we hear when we speak with people. Ron, how have you seen public opinion evolve over time? My feeling would have been that perhaps the war in Ukraine would have actually galvanized public opinion even further towards renewables in general and wind in particular. But from what Tony's saying, actually, there doesn't seem to have been that much of a direct effect. What's, What's your take on that? Yeah, I would also say that the crisis or the Russian aggression in Ukraine didn't have this immediate effect because you already had the stabilized um, positive um, view on renewable energies. And I mean, you can see the Greens are in government. There is a reason for it because there is a certain amount of people that voted for them. And what I would like to emphasize is um, this, this loud minority. I think that's a really important point because the majority is silent, but they will listen how you how you interfere with this loud minority and if you be reasonable and give thoughtful explanations and make your points and giving figures and giving data you might not overturn the opinion of this loud minority but you will also reach the silent majority and then they have the arguments to to go and say yeah i'm still supporting renewable energies now i mean that sounds like a very rational response countering those who oppose wind and some of those who oppose wind might do so for fairly rational reasons of their own but what about those who attempt to frame wind power in ways which are actually completely untrue i I suppose what i'm talking about here is disinformation how do you manage to keep cool in response to lies there was in a regional news um, outlet an an article and they they dealt with the fact check on uh, why wind turbines are not responsible for increased temperatures in in middle Germany. And then then you see there are some irrational arguments, but you have to deal with it. And like I said, you have to be still reasonable and you have to try to keep your cool. And it's always helpful um, if you are not the only one there who supports uh, renewable energies. If you have someone, some bystanders that maybe have some credibility in the community where you are, that support and that are supportive and that can give you the edge over those. It sounds like you've got a majority of public opinion which broadly favours wind. How do you reach those 
who haven't quite yet been reached. Is there a job that the German government should do in order to change the minds of that vocal minority, whatever percentage they amount to, to become more favourable to the installation of wind farms, especially in states where there is perhaps more opposition? Should the government be getting in there and, and creating a campaign or is that not the government's job, Tony, to do that? Is it more your job and the job of the industry to change people's minds? It's the job of us all. And um, the difficulty here is to figure what are the reasons why people are opposing wind. If they are not willing to listen to the wind arguments, it's difficult to reach them. So there is, on the one hand, the need to figure what is the real reason why they are behaving like this, what they really want. And then, of course, if one knows this, then you can much better decide whose task it is to change this. People think with their pockets, never more so than at the moment when they're, they're being squeezed in terms of their energy costs, in terms of inflation and cost of living. Ron, do you think we should be making a clear link between the deployment of wind and cheaper energy bills for those groups which are slightly harder to reach? Is that the way? Well, we have to make clear that renewable energies will be the future and this future will be cheaper than the fossil energy distribution we have now. I think that's an important part that because not everybody has it on his mind. We are in favor of cheaper energy bills in a way that you can maybe as a, a local distributor give to the local community. Like um, for now, you can give up to um, 0.2 cents of for each uh, kilowatt hour you uh, distribute it to the network, to the local entity. And then that is a thing that helps, but we voted for um, a broader approach here so that you the wind farm maybe can support a local kindergarten, for example, which is not possible yet, but that would be helpful. And in general, I think people should have the feeling that they are here in the process and that they are not bored at the end. Because if you feel like you are bribed into liking renewables, you will get the, the uh, opposite effect. So enticing people by saying this is a less volatile price, this is not subject to geopolitical shocks. This isn't, this isn't actually the answer as far as you're concerned. I want to turn now to go-to areas under the Repower EU package and also Germany's uh, 2% law. So the Repower EU package calls for the establishment of these go-to areas in member states in which you'll have done the environmental research. Do you envisage any opposition to the establishment of go-to areas within Germany? And if so, where do you expect that opposition to come from? Tony? The thing, maybe one word about the go-to areas and uh, we should keep in mind is that it's important and, and maybe that there could be a misunderstanding and not just in Germany, throughout Europe, that, that it's important that the go-to areas are not the only areas for wind. So if we end up that governments say, okay, job is done, we have defined the go-to areas, let's use them and it locks the rest of the land, um, it won't help much. So this is something we really need to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I would like to add that um, we, we also looked into it. And um, of course, it depends on how federal government applies these rules for, for Germany. But in general, if you have um, 
some steps in the planning already done and so you don't have to redo it for every project that can really be a help and it should be an addition to the areas the designated wind areas we already have that's a thing that i really have to emphasize here and the, the go-to areas in general if, if it really allows us to be faster in in planning and then in the build-up can be a good thing but like i said we have to see how they play out from what you're saying here, I understand it that these go-to areas are separate in your minds to the German law, which states that individual German states must set aside 2% of their land for onshore wind by 2032. Is that what you're saying? I think we need to just understand the go-to areas is an EU concept mentioned in the Repower EU and now, now being discussed at EU level. What Ron said, the designated wind areas in Germany is something that's already established. That's German spatial planning law. And my understanding is that the 2% target refers to the designated wind areas, so to the spatial planning law of Germany. And the go-to areas is then a concept we need to see what this would imply on a on a regulatory level and then to be transmitted into the member states. What I was saying then before is that we should be careful with regard to the go-to areas that they do not become restrictive to where you can build wind farms in a country. Yes, yes. You want that to be over and above, not this is the maximum that you can have. I'm also interested in this element where German states will be able to transfer some of this capacity to their neighbours. So someone might do 1.5% of their land and someone else might do 2.5% of their land and take that extra capacity off its neighbouring state. Do you see any problems with an uneven rollout of onshore wind in Germany with some states creating more capacity than others, Ron? Yeah, in, in our opinion, that's not a helpful um, detail in this law because you can trade up to 50% of the space you are uh, you should give. So some states shall have 2.2% and others 1.8%. That's the range we're talking about. And if you can trade half of this, so nearly or over 1% of your landmass, to another one, that's something that doesn't help in accepting wind turbines all over the country because then you have a concentration in, in certain spots. And what I think is even more important, it doesn't help for the grid because you will have again high energy input at, at one spot, maybe in the north because uh, the south says, yeah, in north it's better for, for wind energy, let's go there and you build it up for us. And then you still have to get it down to the south where our industry centers are. So we have to use even more space for the grid. So it's also kind of inefficient. We already have those issues that we have to shut down wind farms because we can't transport electricity well enough from north to south. Which seems a terrible shame, doesn't it? All this fantastic green electrons going to waste. Tony, do you agree with Ron in this, that it's, it doesn't really help um, in terms of public opinion and grid infrastructure if you've got this kind of uneven rollout with maybe heavier emphasis on the north and a lighter emphasis in the south of the country? 
Let's put it this way, and 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 in this way, I agree. Is we we need balancing points um, to figure how this this is best done and well distributed. I think to have some flexibility is not the worst thing, but of course the grid and public perception and opinion would need to be one of the key factors to consider here to get um, the rollout done and to be successful in reaching the targets. Okay, fine. Let's talk about auctions briefly. Again, my understanding is that currently there are three. But it's going to be changed uh, with the new uh, renewable energy law. We will have four uh, coming next year. Okay. I want to direct this at Tony, first of all, actually. Is that enough? Do you want more auctions, greater tender volumes, easier access? Does this help Nordex as a turbine manufacturer to have more auctions? So four auctions is is quite, I think, a balance that gives an equal distribution throughout the year. You have an auction each quarter. This is something we as an industry, I think, can adjust with. Um, the other point, do we want more, uh, more volume? As, as we said in the beginning of this uh, recording, um, the volume is huge that they have put forward now. Uh, what we need and what we want is more projects. To fill up the volume and if the volume is filled i think we are on a good path so the tempo of four auctions per year is is just about right but it's the volume of projects which need to be increased ron i'm just going to kind of rewind a little bit uh, to some, something you were talking about uh, which you touched on a moment ago um with the grid and indeed an inefficient grid taking perhaps more renewable energy from the north of the country and feeding it down to the south where a lot of your heavy industry is. Who should pay for the grid improvements to connect all the new capacity uh, which could come online as a result of these measures? And you know, do you think this should be done by Germany alone or is the grid something actually that the EU should be thinking of as a whole? Mm, that's a, a tough one. Um, I would say... We have now in place, um, the grid is basically paid by all of us in Germany to um, to build it up. And that's something that, that worked uh, good over the years. But you have those um, bigger power supply lines. When they build in a, in a certain region, then you have a higher costs there. So it's not evenly distributed for all of the projects. And um, we see this can be a, a challenge for, for acceptance. For the question if the EU should pay for it, we would have to look at it closely. What is the purpose of the grid? Is it uh, to distribute energy from north to south in Germany or are we talking about north-south ways for whole of Europe or east-western connections? And then um, maybe one can think about uh, something um, with a broader um, approach, maybe on a EU level. But it also seems to me that th there is a case to be made for an EU-wide approach to how we're going to handle this renewable energy and feed it from one country to another. Tony, what's your what, what's your feeling on this? Is, is a more collaborative approach needed? Who should pay? Of course, we see cooperation in trading electricity and energy, and in particular at the current times, we see also countries helping each other out if they are short of electricity or potentially also in winter of gas. Um, the question here is how you make this support schemes um, well connected so you have also a fair approach in a 
cooperation is key which needs to be figured I think then potentially we can see much more of, of cross-country projects and trading. Okay. A final question to you both is about the supply chain. Looking ahead to good and positive immediate future in which all these uh, policy announcements are passed in the way that you want them to be, and there is this rapid rollout with greater volume in these auctions and tenders, if all the measures you want and more are passed – Uh, Tony, could the existing turbine manufacturing supply chain and the infrastructure you have in place cope with a swift increase in wind power installation? Can you do it? Here we are. We are ready to go. Um, No, let's put it this way. So the capacities are there. We are set up um, as as an industry. Um, We need a project. And and of course, what we will not see is um, forward investments without having visibility of that there are projects coming. So this is key. But I think if as soon as we see increasing market dynamics, the market moving forward, of course, we will make sure that we can also cope with those um, demands in the market. Ron, how should the supply chain be supported in policy or other terms? I think the best uh, support is getting projects in line getting permits and because then you have the plannings and you get orders and then you can start producing because if you don't have a permit nobody is going to to buy or book a turbine so if we get this done i think um, that's the best thing we can do to support and then we have to think in a european perspective and not go go national on this because that won't last long i think Ron and Tony, I want to thank you very, very much indeed for joining me uh, for this podcast. It's been so informative. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks a lot as well. Always a pleasure. Before I sign off, I just want to highlight that our Blades Europe conference is returning to Hamburg after a break of two years from the 25th to the 26th of October. This year, the conference will provide you with business-critical insights on the latest technical innovations within blade operations and maintenance, as well as delving into the developments affecting the industry as a whole today. Among the speakers for the event are Hans-Joseph Fell, President of Energy Watch Group, and Sabrina Malpedi, Managing Director of ACT Blade. To buy tickets or to take a closer look at the full lineup, visit the dedicated website bladeseuropeforum.com. Thanks for listening to the Wind Power Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode to explore the issues which are driving the wind industry today.